You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Susan Schneider, founding director of Florida Atlantic University's Center for the Future Mind. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. It's been surprising to me how quiet things have been in the humanities. I mean, maybe we're all just taking it in, but I also think that, and this really makes me sad, the tech leaders have been looked at by the media and probably by the politicians themselves as being the important voices at the table for the implications of technology. And there's been a lot of confusion about scientific development versus speculation. So you're seeing everybody wanting to interview the CEOs of the big tech companies or the big AI researchers. And then all of a sudden the idea that they somehow have a monopoly on ideas about conscious machines, for example, or merging with AI like Elon Musk never stops with philosophical claims. And a lot of times you have to wonder what they're supposed to be doing for his stock values, as opposed to whether they're true or not. But people just take this sadly as what the scientists or AI companies say, you know, well, they know the science, so it's got to be true. But that is not the case. I mean, that's where the humanities should be more involved. And it's been a slow plotting situation to see people really step up. But you also, you know, As a writer, you want to make sure that you're not going to publish something which turns out to be false by the time it comes out. So maybe we're all like waiting to see where this all goes, right? But I think at this point, I finally achieved a sort of confidence about how I think it's going to play out. Okay, the first concern I have is with surveillance capitalism in this country. So the constant surveillance of us, which is going on right now as we're speaking on Zoom, I'm sure and on all these background apps, and in my case, probably multiple foreign agencies because of what I do, you know, and and it may not be capitalism in those contexts, but I mean, basically I'm sick and tired as we all are of our technology basically spying on us. I shouldn't have to put a postage stamp on my camera all the time and think about my children feeding data into these machines. Now, I do understand that there's a lot of worry here that's underlying. It's not just nefarious actors. So the corporations need the data because it's a surveillance capitalist economy in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, right? But there's a lot of worries about biological weapons and the misuse of these technologies. And so surveillance then becomes something necessary for government. So it's sort of a vicious mess web. And to people who sort of were libertarians who started seeing the public internet emerge in the days for the home computer really took off at the instant days. It was so exciting for them because they saw the internet as a place of freedom. And it's just in the last several years with Facebook and all these social media companies, things have just been going deeply wrong. And so it leads me to worry about how the future is going to play out right? I mean, the tech companies aren't going to be doing the right thing for humanity. So it's just a terrible web. And this gets to my second worry is how's this going to work for human exactly? So it may be great to see these large language models getting smarter and smarter. It's not clear though, where humans will even be needed in the future. Suppose it is 2045 and today you're at shopping. Your next stop is the center for mind design. 
As you walk in, a large menu stands before you and it lists brain enhancements with funky names. Hivemind is a brain chip allowing you to experience the innermost thoughts of your loved one. Zen Garden is a microchip for Zen Master level meditative state. Human Calculator gives you the savant level mathematical abilities that you felt you needed. What would you select, if anything? Enhanced attention, Mozart level musical skills. You can order a single enhancement or a bundle of several. So, you know, I pivot and ask the audience what they would do. And then I return to this later in the book to see if they change their minds. So concerning that thought experiment, I actually have a lot of philosophical concern, well beyond just the joke that who would want to be first with that, right? And one of them is indeed the concern that even if we stipulate that the procedure works in being able to replicate all of your mental abilities and all of your behaviors, fools everybody into believing it's really you, there's a deep philosophical and scientific question here about whether the phenomenon of consciousness, which is that felt body experience can truly be replicated in a sort of silicon-based or other microchip-based instantiation. And we really don't know the answer to that question yet. We are at a really interesting point in technology and it's sort of an honor to be alive right now to witness all of this, but it's dizzying. Okay, so let's see. I'm a professor of philosophy. I also am a mother, which, you know, is something that's very important to me. And I have just always been interested in burning questions. And I sort of never stop with topics. So my problem, or maybe it's a gift, I don't know, but it's kind of a problem, is that I really love taking on new things. It is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, ever since GPT came out, I've said, well, there you go. For years, in principle, we can get intelligent systems that verge on AGI and I think even surpass human intelligence in many ways. And it is a time that we need to really reflect on what conscious beings are in general and ask deep metaphysical questions, whether it be in the form of a soul you know, which is also a philosophical issue that philosophers like Descartes considered in a more agnostic tradition. And I think consciousness is really the root of the issue. Years ago, philosophers were asking, could machines be conscious? Could they feel, experience themselves? Of course, they may not technically qualify as a form of life. That's a different debate. But maybe they have a felt quality. And, you know, similarly, I, I know a theologian 20 years ago who was asking, could a machine actually have a soul? Her name was Anne Forrest. You know, so these issues are important to consider for sure. I think the scientific possibilities are amazing. And I think any system that has these kind of capacity that it's basically a sort of crowdsourced brain, if you will. So it's roughly like the neocortex, very roughly. And it's a neocortex without a limbic system. So it's just an association engine without necessarily emotions, although that's another debate. And if you feed it the right sort of data, it has near instantaneous access to a range of facts. So it's going to come up with different things and it's going to be able to quickly access a range of material that humans can't. So there should be intriguing scientific discovery, drug discovery, obviously computation involving climate change. I mean, all kinds of things. And of course, this is true of symbolic systems as well. And nowadays, many machine learning systems are not just drawing from deep learning techniques. It'll take a while for those innovations in the experimental arena to actually be implemented in it. Obviously, you know, science is slow, but I believe that these sort of thinking machines, as they grow smarter and smarter, will change the face of science. The human brain is really 
interesting. And of course, it evolved maybe unlike AI systems that are, so to speak, intelligently designed, or maybe we want to say unintelligently designed by humans. So the evolutionary constraints on both systems are really different. And one thing that's very distinctive about humans is that conscious thinking is different from non-conscious thinking. I mean, I'm worried, obviously, even though I work with Congress and some of the leaders in the intelligence community, you know, there's work that's going on by AI companies, which may benefit humanity or may not, depending upon the AI regulation and the way that history plays out. And it's really hard to tell exactly what will go on. I mean, part of the problem is yacht diplomacy seems to be, at least in North America, trumping any sort of public deliberation at the level of Congress, at least. Although now I believe there's some legislation that is moving with the Senate. I worry that just, you know, nothing against tech leaders in particular, but if your number one concern is with your company, it will lead to a certain slant on how the technology plays out. And what we'd like to see is human flourishing being number one. And that's supposed to be the role of government to help regulate. So I've been worried a lot about technological unemployment. As we replace a lot of white collared jobs, what will be left? What is it that will really be needed from biological systems like us? And, you know, obviously robotics is not as advanced. So it's not that I'm as worried about, say, contractor, you know, people who come into my house as electricians and their jobs and whatnot. But eventually robotics will be evolving quickly too. So what will the human future be exactly? Will it be a future akin to what I visit in the book, Artificial You, where humans aim to merge with artificial intelligences? I think there are some problems with that understanding of the future. Or would it be a future in which we're supplanted by non-biological organisms? I mean, that would be kind of spooky and scary. And it does worry me if they're not even conscious. And I, I don't think we have much of an understanding of what consciousness entails. So I suppose the these are sort of my distant concerns at this point. It's me. So we need to get more accountability from the tech companies. And it does seem like companies like Facebook are being more mindful now because they're afraid of their reputations and they're afraid of government regulation and whatnot. So they don't want to see the same thing play out again. What we don't want is these amplificatory internet bubbles on these apps that encourage extremists, no matter what the topic is. So right, left, it doesn't matter. I mean, from an ethical standpoint, we want people to be truth seekers and we want communities of common-minded people to be acting on the right kind of information. And if they interact poorly, then there's no one organization which is responsible and which can stop that kind of interaction. It has to be almost like a situation with global warming. There have to be global parameters and agreement. And so if the U.S. and China, for example, are seeing the AI ecosystem as a realm in which there should be cyber wars and hostilities, that's not good because our technologies need to play well with each other. Now, that worried me deeply because the polarization that we're already experiencing actually throughout the globe, it's not good. If all we're doing is fighting over a few issues, we're not thinking about the future of humanity in its full detail. So we're not talking about certain topics and we're only focusing on a few. So people want to fight about race and gender all day. 
to the exclusion of the range of issues, that's not productive. And it could be, sadly, that some benefit from distracting people and then it turns people off from these really important issues involving race and gender, too, because it makes people hostile and polarized. So I get worried if the LLMs become an arena for these amplificatory discussions, we don't want it to become, instead of a nation state, a leadership by a few people in yachts who own tech companies. And, and I think it's important that we remember these wonderful possibilities that AI, together with human scientists, it's really the hybrid, you know, connection between the human mind and the machine mind. And as these models become more established and more sophisticated, the potential is very exciting. For example, cultivating healthy oceans, healthy environment. And I think we need to remember to appreciate that felt quality of experience and know what it is and know what it is not. So as we move forward and deliberate over the human future and graph machine intelligence and see it increasing and improving, we need to kind of understand what's distinctive about us. And I think having a better scientific and philosophical understanding of these questions is very important. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights with Susan Schneider. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.